Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Give the Lord a shout. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And our wonderful worship team too, please. These guys make it very easy for us to get up here and uh, do what happens. They make it work. They make it work. Well, good morning. Take a seat. You've already done it. Good job. You're well ahead. It's great to have you here this morning. My name is Ben. I'm part of the staff and the pastoral exec team here at church. If you're visiting, welcome. It's great to have you here. And uh, I'm excited that we're already a little more than a third of the way through winter, but who's counting? And uh, as you heard before, Pastor Stevie Deb are on holidays. I think we've got a quick snap they sent me the other day. There we are. So jealous much. Yes, indeed. But as Ben said, they are on a well-earned break. They are resting and gearing up for a second half of the year. And we always kind of go, oh, it's always going to be a big part of the year, but every part of the year is big. It's just big. So they're uh, off resting and recuperating. So they've left me today to start us off into a new series on relationships. New month, new series. We're going to have a look at relationships and in particular around this idea of when we open up to others. It comes out of a scripture that we've been focusing on over the winter season, so June, July and August we will do. And in that verse, or the one that you would have seen all last month was, keep open house, be generous with your lives, which we looked at in June. By opening up to others, you prompt others to open up with God. So we're just going to pray really quickly over the word and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that all that we need is in that word. Father, we pray that you would bless the word to us today, that you would speak, Lord God, and that we would each walk away with what you have for us today. In your name, amen. Amen. I read an article the other day by a pastor and author, Drew Hunter. And in the article, he comments that the first problem in the world wasn't sin, but was solitude. It's an interesting thought, but... When looking at uh, the Genesis account of creation, you can see how we came to that conclusion. Six times in the first chapter of Genesis, the author tells us that God saw that it was good. We have God where he says, let there be light, and then God saw that the light was good. He gathers the waters together and the dry land appeared, and God saw that it was good. All of the vegetation, the seeds, plants, trees are created, and God saw that it was good. But when he comes to creating Adam, Adam among all of the created beings who would bear his likeness. When he creates Adam, the first human, we're told for the first time that God actually says, it is not good. But what is it that God has said was not good? That man should be alone. So sin hadn't yet entered the world. This all occurs before the fall. And the first thing that God sees that is a bit of an issue with creation is not sin, but social isolation. Isn't it interesting that here we are, a long way down the track, with the world's population pushing north of 7.5 billion people, and all of our digital connectedness, and yet so many of society's biggest challenges remain in or come out of isolation, loneliness, and lack of meaningful relationships. We were created for relationship. God designed us to be in relationship. We are social creatures, relationship first with him and then with each other. And when those relationships are absent from our lives, we're actually like fish out of water. We're not functioning in what is our natural environment or our natural state of being. And as much as anybody might like to tell you different, no one does life well alone 
or even if that they perceive to be alone because it's at odds with the natural order of creation. There was a survey conducted by the Australian Psychological Society in 2018 and it explored loneliness levels amongst Australians and then the impact on their health and well-being. Some interesting findings. One in four Australians are lonely. That 55% of Australians experience high levels, sorry, they lack companionship some of the time. That one in four Aussies experience high levels of social interaction anxiety and that lonely Australians are 15% more likely to be depressed and 13% more likely to be anxious about social interaction than those who are not lonely. But what I found within that research that was, I think, the most telling thing is that isolation, loneliness, disconnectedness are more related to the quality of relationships in a person's life than they are the quantity of relationships in a person's life. So we can have a large circle of friends, but if there's little to no space for depth or for really opening up, in other words, if people don't really know us, then not only do we miss out on what is probably the primary benefit of being in relationship, but we actually also risk letting loneliness and isolation creep into our lives, irrespective of how many people actually might be in it. The unfortunate thing is that in our increasingly connected digital society, where we can befriend and connect quickly with large numbers of people in very visible and public-type forums, and we can just as quickly unfriend them, we're actually encouraged more often than not to really only share the first couple of inches of quality topsoil in our lives. Instagram, anybody. While the infertile and nutrient-lacking dirt, if you like, sits beneath for so many of us is kept hidden. But who he knows, the trouble is that while we work to keep the dirt hidden, we all end up measuring our dirt against everybody else's wonderful topsoil. So when we're scrolling through our feeds or when we're surfing the net, it's so often the dirt and the mess that we have in our own lives that rises up to be compared against what everybody else is showing. Now, I don't want this to sound like I'm fully having a crack at technology. Like a lot of things in life, there is so much value and good that comes out of it. It's great being able to stay in touch with friends and family on the other side of the world. One of my best mates has lived in Scotland for more than 10 years now. And I think it's incredible that in the space of three seconds, we can be conversing on WhatsApp. And it's awesome that you can actually celebrate or share exciting news in your life with a large number of your connections all at one time, simultaneously. But what's happening is that our culture, by and large, is seeing a shift away from genuine, meaningful relationships to surface-level, shallow connection. Years ago, I was part of a connect group or a Bible study at a previous church, so going a, going a while back now. And uh, I'd been in the group for maybe two or three, two years possibly, and others. So Michelle, we weren't married at that time. We'd been in the group for a number of years. And there was a guy in this group called Morris, very interesting character, Morris. And um, every week, Monday nights, we'd catch up and do Bible study and connect, and everyone would just chat and what have you. And then it got to one point. I'd been there for two, three years. And I can't remember how we all found out. But everybody thought Morris was at uni doing IT. He'd tell us about it, assignments, it's exam time, things of, you know, uni's crazy, all that kind of stuff. And somehow we all found out that he'd actually never been at uni. Now, he would go to uni every day, 
and he'd stay on the campus so that his family and friends and everybody would know that he went to uni, but he actually wasn't at uni. And so we're like, okay, we've been in this environment with you for three years. You've told us constantly, you're at uni and exams are tough and oh, you've got heaps of assignments on and all this kind of... This whole little thing happening in his world that his family didn't know about, that we didn't know about. And even though we'd been together and been around, it was surface. He hadn't let us in. He would go to uni, as it turned out, I believe, and he'd spend most of his day playing online gaming. That's what he'd done for three years. Is it any coincidence that the digital natives, so those of us born into the technological era, those who can't remember a time before it, actually identifies the loneliest demographic. And researchers are laying much of the blame for that at the feet of social media and the digital world. There's so much research out there at the moment that says teenagers are far more lonely because of the social media accounts they operate. Ironically and sadly, despite connecting more people than ever before, our online and social media-driven culture commonly fuels feelings of isolation and it adversely impacts our self-esteem. So these surface-level relationships, the perfect life comparison culture is not what God had in mind when he designed us for relationship. And it's tricky when you come into this space, but as the church, I think we really do need to be aware of what culture is doing. And I think we need to be looking at a relevancy as the church so that we have the capacity to be connecting with people who are outside the church community. But in this area of relationships, I really think the church needs to be countercultural. So today what we're going to do is take a quick look at two of our church values. There's eight. We won't have anywhere near enough time for that. But these two in particular speak into this idea of relationships and opening up with others. We have communal engagement and relational integrity. So we're going to start with communal engagement. We're going to turn to Acts 2, 42-47. If you have your Bibles or because it's 2019 if you have your screens, which funnily enough, by the way, here we go, talk about digital. This is the first time I've ever preached off a screen. Normally, I'm old school paper. I'm like, how hypocritical or ironic or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, let's move on. 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Community requires commitment. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says, Only the Holy Spirit can create real fellowship between believers but he cultivates it with the choices and the commitments that we make. So what is communal engagement? Well, I think Acts 2, the picture of the very early church, gives us a few clues when it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now, fellowship is a bit of an old school word. If you've been around for a while, you would have heard that in church circles a lot, not used quite so much anymore. But apparently the early church was devoted to it. It comes from a Greek word, quinonia, which means joint participation, the share that someone has in something, a gift jointly contributed. And it embraces our English terms like sharing, intimacy, and communion. So this is the picture of communal engagement that the early church is drawing for us. And this is the example that they want us to be following. 
Who knows, though, that times have changed. How easy and convenient is it for us these days, for whatever reason, to consider, and very likely at times, follow through on, let's say, skipping church on a Sunday, or not going to our connect group, and instead, and instead deciding that, you know what, I'm just going to listen to a podcast and some worship online. Now, I nearly thought about taking a poll. Who's done that? I won't do that. I was going to say, if you want, you can raise your hand on the inside, but it's funny. I know I've had conversations with people who are like, so good, I can get teaching online, and you know what? It is really good. Again, it's one of those things where there's so much value in it. The fact that we can access good teaching, great worship, anywhere, anytime, is a real blessing. And the reality is, for a lot of people, it actually might be a source of community engagement. There may be people who are geographically isolated, or employment situations actually prevent them from being connected to a local community often. I have one or two conversations with Eddie, who's hiding over here, he's in our connect group. Eddie's a shift worker, and I know we've had a conversation once where he said, sometimes you still get people who are like, oh, you're working on Sunday. And he's like, well, that's my job. Eddie's a seismologist. If he's not there, no one's keeping an eye on the earthquakes. And he said, often what he'd say to people is, if your house is on fire on a Sunday, you want to pick up the phone and know that the firemen are working, right? So it's a good thing that we have access to this kind of technology and these things where we can stay connected. But again, the challenge can be that these things can influence or nurture trends and patterns in our lives that are actually only a shadow of what we really need and what God intended for us in meaningful, real, honest relationships. It's only when we have regular, close proximity contact with normal and imperfect Christians that we develop a capacity for real fellowship and engage in truly being connected to and dependent on one another. I've been on the staff team at church here for about three and a half years now, um, and so I've worked closely with a lot of people in the church. Um, one of those is Matt DeQuinner, who most of you would know well. So we'd work together, Matt's in a day a week, and for probably 12 months you'd see each other for a week and then at church and what have you. And as we were working on our discipleship conversations a few years ago, we're writing that, and I think both of us were feeling a little bit convicted around one of our um, things that we have in our conversations is to say, who really knows you? And who do you really know? And so we both kind of went, hmm, we actually don't really know each other, do we? So we made a decision. We went, well, let's do this. Let's just start to catch up a little more often. So for probably the last 18 months to two years, Matt and I have had coffee most Friday mornings, specifically with the intention of just hanging out, getting to know each other a little more. Now, it's taken time. But over that two years, we've actually developed a space where I'm comfortable that Matt knows some things about me. Nobody else does. And I would say it's quite the same for him. It takes time. We can get great teaching. We can get great worship online. We can do all of those things. But meaningful, real connection happens face to face. And it takes time to build and work on. It's also here in the, uh, the communal gathering. And in our connect groups, we're alongside each other. We mature as followers of Jesus and we build spiritual resilience. Rick Warren again says, It may seem easy to be holy when no one else is around to frustrate your preferences. But that is a false and untested holiness. Isolation breeds deceitfulness. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're mature if there's nobody there to challenge us. Real maturity and resilience show up in relationship. Communal engagement or fellowship is built on the back of meaningful relationships where people can and have opened themselves up to others, where each of us have others that we can lean on 
and where we are also developing the spiritual muscle required to be someone that others can lean on. The second value, relational integrity. In Matthew 5.16, that scripture that we've had as a, a guide over winter, it says, by opening up to others, we prompt others to open up to God. So there's encouragement in this scripture to move away from our closed off or tentativeness in relationship. And that's because meaningful relationships cannot be cultivated without openness. And openness requires trust and vulnerability. It requires that we take off the masks that we all wear. The masks that hide our hurts, the masks that hide our faults, our insecurities, our doubts. And that is such a scary thing to do. Brennan Manning, best known for his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, actually wrote about this pretty honestly in one of his other books called Ruthless Trust. And he says, In my efforts to overcome my lifelong struggle with self-hatred, the despair of ever being worthy of love, I've been aided immeasurably by trusted and trusting friends who with no ulterior motive see something in me that I cannot see in myself. They do not merely tell me they relate to me in a way that shows that they find me lovable. Learning to trust my friends has been a slow but invaluable process. Honesty with others and with self is a precious commodity seldom found either in the world at large or the church. To disclose our dark secrets to another is a risky business. There may be reprisals and a great cost. But we all wrestle with the question, is there anyone I can level with? Anyone I dare tell that I'm benevolent and malevolent, chaste and lustful, compassionate and vindictive, selfless and selfish, that beneath my brave words lives a frightened child, that I dabble in religion and pornography, that I've blackened a friend's character, betrayed a trust, violated a confidence, that I'm tolerant and thoughtful, racist and inconsiderate. Sensing that if I bear my soul, I will be abandoned by my friends and ridiculed by my enemies, I remain in hiding borrowing from the cosmetic kit to put on my face. I veil my unstated distrust behind a cheerful countenance. I mask my fears behind sanguine pretense and present a false sense that is mostly admirable, mildly attractive and superficially happy. But later I hate myself for my flagrant dishonesty. Who can I turn to? This is where Jesus comes in. Because safely turning to others with honesty and vulnerability, so the integrity of who we really are, is made possible by and is so much easier when we've already turned to Jesus. Before Jesus, masks are ineffective and they're unnecessary. In front of Jesus, we are seen and we are utterly exposed. But we are acknowledged, we are accepted, and we are loved. Our identity shifts from what we see and or feel about ourselves to what it is that he sees and feels about us. In John 8, 2-11, we have Jesus' encounter with the woman caught in adultery. So early in the morning, he, Jesus, came to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Talk about being exposed. Talk about having all your mess and your poor decisions just out in the open. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible and highly likely that the woman, this poor woman was set up by the scribes and Pharisees just so that they could track Jesus. Even so, she obviously made some poor decisions because Jesus doesn't dismiss her involvement in the, adul- in the adultery, but neither does he condemn her for it. She's in all likelihood naked physically and also emotionally, just laid bare in front of Jesus with nowhere to hide. And as I was preparing this, I got the thought that this is actually a really good picture of all of us and the relational relational integrity that each of us has with Jesus, whether we realize it or not. I think, what do I mean by that? With Jesus, we are always who we are, warts and all. There is no filter with Jesus. We might think that we're doing a pretty good job of keeping the dirt hidden, and letting only the Instagrammable moments be seen, but there is no way around it. Whatever it is that we have buried from the sight of others and that keeps us from relational integrity with them, he sees it. But it's such a good thing that he does because it releases us into a vulnerability with him. We don't have a choice. But we get to do so knowing that his response will be one of protection from condemnation. The scribes and Pharisees of our own lives or minds and tenderness as it was with the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you, he says. When we know Jesus, when we're in relationship with him, when we learn relational integrity in the safe space that he provides, we actually develop a capacity for it in our relationship with others. Because it's here in relationship with Jesus that our identity, that our character is built up upon his opinion of us, not our own or the opinion of others. There is an increased freedom and a strength to be the real version of ourselves when our identity is securely founded on the love and the acceptance of Jesus. Now there is, of course, still risk involved when we are vulnerable and the real version of ourselves with other people. So wisdom and caution are required in our openness. Even Jesus had his different spheres or levels of confidence amongst his companions. He had Peter, James, and John. He had the other nine disciples. And then we've also read where he had the 72 disciples. Each one of those groups had a different level of insight and engagement into Jesus' life. We cannot and shouldn't be seeking deep and meaningful relationships with everybody. It's not wise and it's actually not possible. We need every sphere and element of relationship we can But you don't get the euphoria euphoria of standing on Mount Everest without the risk and the hard work of climbing it first. And it's only through the risk, it's only through the challenge of releasing trust 
that we actually get to experience the freedom and the beauty of relationship where someone knows us, really knows us. And it's in relationships of this nature, in amongst a community of believers just like this one, that actually produce an atmosphere of honesty and humility, of meaningful and not superficial connection. It's an environment where loneliness and isolation are not given ground in our lives. And when we do this well, as a community, when we do this well, people will know that we follow Jesus. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we open up and share relational integrity, so who we really are, in meaningful relationships characterized by our time, honesty, love, compassion and forgiveness, all of those qualities that so often seem to be countercultural these days, people are going to wonder why. And they will soon learn that it's because we follow Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. But there's blessing in it. It's what Jesus wants for each of us. If we took a moment right now, and in fact, if you're comfortable, I'd love you just to close your eyes. Take a moment. Can you identify somebody in this community, C3 Monash, who really knows you? Who you can lean on and be real with, sharing the crumbly dirt of your life as well as the topsoil? Do you know who that person or those people are? And then while we're there, as you're just thinking about this and looking around in your mind's eye, whose openness and whose vulnerability are you holding on to at the moment safely and securely? Who is it that's leaning on you? going to keep our eyes closed. And two things we're going to do with everybody's eyes closed. We're going to just give opportunity for people soon to come out and, and just receive prayer We're on the altar. We'll get the worship team back up in a minute. If isolation, loneliness, disconnection if that's something in your life, if that's a challenge for you, and we want you to come forward and let's, we pray over that. Let the community bless you in that. But before that, what we want to do is actually give opportunity for anybody here who doesn't yet know Jesus to actually have that opportunity. Relationships with others, relationships in the body, body of believers are so much more there's so much more in them when you know Jesus when your foundation is Jesus when your identity is Jesus when it's his opinion of you that matters when you know that he loves you rain, hail or shine you have a confidence to be yourself and open up to others 
So while everybody has their eyes closed, what we're going to do, I will pray. I'm just going to, I want to give people the opportunity. If you don't yet know Jesus, but you want to come into a space where you do, where you felt that loneliness of your soul, and it's actually only a loneliness that Jesus can fill, then we want you to take that opportunity. Be brave and just raise your hand in a moment. I'm not going to call you down the front. We can chat with you afterwards. But if that's you right now, I'd just love you to raise your hand. If you would love to meet Jesus, if you don't yet know him, if you don't yet have that assurance in your life, that relationship, we'd love you to have that opportunity to do so. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.